Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi and we've got a full strength squad for the show today. We've got AFL legend Warren Treadray with us, along with sports media veteran Dion Heyman. Welcome, fellas. Hey, Monty. G'day, boys. How are we? All good, mate. Now, we're going to kick off a new episode format today. Dion, do you want to talk us through it, mate? Look, uh, I think there's been uh, so many... um big topics to uh, to work in the fry pan over the last uh, few weeks and uh, it's just a good opportunity today to to have a bit of a yak about them and uh, and really uh, you know slice slice through some of this and and just work out who's uh, who's fair income and who's in it for the money and uh, Treaders is going to help us do that um, it's you know what we'd like is uh, and we've already got some is uh, to hear from uh, some of our subscribers to the big deal give them a chance to talk to uh, to throw some questions shall we say at Treaders uh, and us uh, and the team about the the big uh, the big deals and the burning questions in sport at the moment so please uh, send your uh, your questions uh, in because uh, uh, we'll definitely do another one of these in the not too distant future and uh, and we'd love to get your your, your emails your your comments uh, even you can send us a voice note if you'd like as to uh, we can play that as to to what uh, what you think really needs to be called out in sport at the moment some of the hot topics and um, to kick things off we've got a, a few big talking points that we're going to uh, throw at Treaders and the first one uh, comes from Jacob and he's uh, he's thrown at us that uh, betting companies continue to have a growing influence on sport in Australia you can't escape it he says and you can't deny gambling is a social problem now we've seen a betting scandal hit the AFL Brownlow. Enough is enough, surely. Do you think action needs to be taken to at least reduce the impact of betting in sport? There's a big one, Treaders. Uh, what do you say to that? Didn't even get to warm up on that one and do any stretches straight into the biggest topic. Um, I've never liked this, boys, and I never liked it from day dot because if you remember back to the Benson and Hedges cricket many years ago, uh, it wasn't deemed okay to have, um, you know, in, in, in rugby league, I think they had the Wingfield Premiership um, smoking and uh, obviously that was for bad health. But arguably right now, gambling is far worse than what smoking ever was for sport. You know, we talk about mental health, you talk about addiction, financial loss, people who get, you know, have that addiction, it splits family homes, it breaks up the family dynamics. So I would love to see we see sporting clubs, particularly AFL and RL, the whole lot. They want to be these industry leaders. I'd love to say for them, okay, no more gambling partnerships and no more live gambling ads around our game. I know that is massive, but at the end of the day, I think the game would be far greater. Why is it that my kids go, oh, who's a young Leo who's a massive footy fan says, oh, Port a favourite, $2 versus $1.70 or something like that. What, why is it we're in there instead of saying, I think Port would win or Crows would win or Essendon or Collingwood would win because they're a better team? I, I know it sounds really, some might say, oh, pathetic, who cares, it's where it's at, but tell me why the AFL needs gambling revenue. They don't. They've just signed the biggest TV deal ever. And if the players took marginally less money, I think we'd be better for it. 
it's not all about the dollar. I think it's about, you know, you've got to be a community. You've got to be a wise community. You see all these rounds that the AFL wants to roll out for this almost virtue signaling or supporting certain areas. Um, but why is it we're sitting there going, okay, we're taking gambling revenue. We're having playing our part in promoting mental health issues indirectly. We're playing our part in promoting financial loss and breaking up families. I just don't think it sits well, in particular this betting probe into the Herald Sun. It's now proves that it's clearly gone inside the game. We remember cricket, Pakistani cricketers, Australians. I think Mark Waugh and uh, Shane Warne were caught into a betting probe many years ago indirectly as well. So I'd love to see no betting and I'd love to see no gambling partnerships and advertising in and around live sport. I think the place would be far better for it. Clearly... Part of the problem, isn't it, is that, um, you know, with the Brownlow medal in particular, it's a predetermined event. And so uh, the votes have already been cast. Uh, I suspect they've already been counted. And um, you've got a problem where it just takes somebody, uh, which has happened, to pass on little slivers of information here and there. And something that that is an absolute rolled gold fact gets out into the hands of uh, of unscrupulous unscrupulous betters and they they make money out of it now that's part of the part of the issue if you if you can wipe out um predetermined uh, events such as as metal counts and stuff from all gambling that would solve part of the problem um and i guess the other part of gambling that ha- has been uh, so uh, open to um abuse is lower level uh, events, uh, lower level sporting events that uh, perhaps, uh, and by that, you know, we look at the Big Bash and and, and other T20 tournaments. Uh, not too many players live and die by whether they win a 2020 game of cricket. And so that leaves them open to tampering of some sort, I think. And and, you know, it, you're probably far less likely to, uh, no one's, no one's going to throw an AFL grand final or probably even an AFL match or anything like that. But when you, the lower down the food chain you get, the more likely you are that someone's going to do something they shouldn't and all of a sudden uh, you've got um, uh, problems all sorts, I reckon. Yeah, I agree. And if it comes back to sporting integrity, isn't the match itself the thing that can't lose its integrity? And if you took that live gambling away and live advertising away, the game is the game. Yeah, then people will say, oh, mate, open up for temp- hitting on players to not kick straight. But anyone with their, their salt is going to try their best. You know, we've seen it, yes, in the past with cricket where, you know, people who are getting paid bugger all to play test cricket all of a sudden get 10 times their 10 years worth of payments to, to do it. You know, there'll always be instances. But I think from if you want to set a trend, you want to be a leader in sport, you want to be a leader in the culture and the community. I'd love nothing better than the NRL or AFL or some of the sports to come out and say, you know what? Whilst great it's been, um, I think we need to lead the way and say, hey, and if it means we lose our sports rights a little bit and you know, and all the TV networks or live betting can't happen in games, I think live betting in games should definitely be a no-no. Even you know, pre-game commentary on radio or TV two hours before, no, nah, just don't have it any, any part of it. And, and I think it would just clear it away and it, it'd bring it back to its basics. Yeah, I mean, bring it back to the years where everyone says the good old times were the 70s and 80s of footy. Yep. You less commercialise it. You don't throw it in people's faces. And, and, and particularly, we're growing up with generations of pushing it in kids' faces. They hate to see in 20 years' time what it looks like. It's a massive call from you, though, Traders, because, you know, if you go back to your playing days, I reckon you'd have quite a few teammates that wouldn't support you on that. I mean, we know yep. a, lot of, a lot of athletes love their gambling. Um, we've seen a lot of athletes get caught up in it. Um, 
how much support do you believe there would be from the wider playing group generally? And what, what do you see the impact on players in terms of the relationship with betting? I think in, when you look back my time, the last game I played was in round 7, 2010. It's nothing like it is now. I think at that stage, I reckon early days of my media accreditation, you actually couldn't bet on a game. Now, I think media accreditation from far as I'm aware, and I wasn't involved last year, was that you could bet up to two hours before a game. But why? You know, in my time, there were, there were boundary riders who were spot betting while the game was happening, hence and, and missed their, their cross to the live TV um, telecast. That's not what we want in sport. I get some people love punting. Put my hand up. I will punt every now and then. I'll punt to be sociable. I'll be punt if I'm bored. But I, I wouldn't bet more than $1,000 a year. You know what I mean? And I know that sounds a lot of money, $1,000, but Melbourne Cup this year, I didn't even watch it, let alone saw who won it, let alone put a bet on. So I know I'm that person that's not loving it. So I, I get that. But... Far when I was around footy, blokes were betting on footy. It wasn't anything they were really interested in doing. That that look at other sports. That they were, they, the main culture bit is horse racing, and I think that was another one. I'm not sure how horse racing can knock out gambling because that is their industry. But um, and their live tote. Now the old couple years back to uh, Channel Nine Sundays and Kenny Callender giving you the uh, the odds live on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon. Um, I look back to that industry of growing up, but for me right now, it's in your face. Wherever you go, you, you pick up your device, you've got a, a new app, then you you check up, get on a website, then there's another betting company in your face. And as we know, there's live odds all the time while you're watching a broadcast of AFL or cricket or football or whatever. Um, and I just don't think it is. Yes, not everyone's going to like it, but I think if you sign up to earn your four, five, six, eight, one point two, one point six million dollars. I'm pretty sure you can stick to the rules and not bet. Now, I completely agree with you, Treaders, uh, with what you're saying. I, I do think it is simplistic to say, though, that the AFL, for example, oh, they can afford it. They can afford to not have betting. I think, I think what's interesting is how betting companies have managed to just weave into almost every layer of the sporting economy. They activate the events. They pay the talent like there's – like betting companies are fully woven in and I think once you start pulling them out, it's going to expose a lot of economic holes. How do you see that? Yeah, that's okay. And you're talking to someone who'd be willing to take a cut if all the revenues, so if the revenues drop by 10%, I'd be comfortable in my time at football dropping by 10% if it meant that. And it might sound like if it's 25, it's 25. Yeah, you know, I went through a system where I first signed up on 35000 a year my first year plus X amount of game, I end up earning really good money, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you're not playing football just for the money. You're playing because of the love of the game. Let's not forget that. Yes, I get it turns into a business. But you look now, some average footballers are earning well more than the stars of yesteryear. You know what I mean? Some of the greatest players in the history of any sport would be earning 5% of what the players are earning now, probably in their careers. They didn't do it for the money. And I just think from this situation, you've got a part of your role, and whether you like it or not, professional sports people, uh, they are role models. And anyone who says I'm not a role model, well, the reality is you're on TV, you're playing a role, and people are watching whether they like you or not. So I think it would be, yes, it would be a massive challenge. Yes, it would be a, a shock to the, to the heart of the game in terms of revenue, but... 
take AFL for instance right now. Do they, you know, you look at their TV deals almost not doubled, but it's got close to being even out of control to a stage where I think the product's going to hurt from TV going forward because they're not going to be able to put the resources and the commentary and the special effects into it because it costs so much. Do we actually really need to, if we're talking about TV, it'd be a different story, but we're not talking about TV. We're talking about gambling, which is a separate partnership to this, right? We're talking about um, whether it's good for the game. I don't think it's great for the game. I want to go to the footy and go, oh, God, I can't wait to go to the MCG or Adelaide over at the stadium to put on a bet and see if Collingwood win today. We go, I can't want to see the boys and hope they come to play. I think this is a really winnable match. You know what I mean? We're not saying whether, oh, no, I hope it's on TV today. Well, it is. We know it is. I just think it's something that's not necessarily... We haven't missed anything since smoking's gone, have we? Apart from the Betchen and Hedges World Series Cup. You know, we haven't missed anything since smoking's gone. I don't think we'll necessarily miss anything. I'm not saying you can't bet on sport. Put on your bet before a game, 48 hours before, or you know, have it independent. But have the game totally independent. Have no partnerships and have nothing around the broadcast of the match or on heading into a weekend. And that would, or 24 hours, there's, there's a way to work through this. But I just think live and particular game promoting it doesn't need to happen. So if we replace, if we ban gambling betting, where do, does the AFL and other sporting organisations replace that money from? Because you know they'll need to replace, they'll want to replace it and they'll seek to replace it. It's not just a matter of we're going to cop a 25% hit in our, uh, in our wallets, in our uh, turnover or whatever. They're going to look to replace it. Where's it coming from? Well, I don't think it has to be replaced. And I know you say they want. I get that any business, when they look at their financials for the 2020 year, the 2021 year, the 2022 year, everyone wants to go north rather than south. And and I can understand that. But I'm not sure of the numbers right now, but I'd suspect a betting company might put up to maybe $10 million into a game. Right? The broadcasters are hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, it is This is small fry sponsorship compared to some areas. And then maybe there's what's documented and what's told is a totally different story. But I think the game can live without that revenue. And I think you'll have a far greater product for it. You know, I'm not saying that revenue doesn't get used around the game. And that's the other argument. It says, well, if you're going to let people still to bet on football with betting companies away from the game, then why isn't the game getting a share of it? That's a totally interesting argument as well. But I just think principally, if you kept it clean, you'd keep it at arm's length, you'd keep a product, a product more, um, a cleaner product. And I just don't necessarily see the great advantage to have it as part of the spectacle. The spectacle is the, no, no matter what sport it is, the Warriors go to battle and that is, that is the spectacle alone, not whether you can put money on which Warrior is going to win. It, uh, it actually ties into a couple of the next questions that we've got, which are, which are more around sports integrity which even goes beyond betting so you know we had a couple of in the discussions um that our subscribers have had around around our episodes and around our newsletters we've had a couple around it particularly blew up around that netball australia hancock prospecting ordeal now on your facebook page traders we had dennis saying surely sports bodies uh have to achieve financial growth and independence without compromising its integrity and morals then we had another comment from Terry saying, by allowing virtue signaling, posturing and politicizing in sport, grassroots teams who also benefit from sponsorships are penalized. There's an old saying that should be heated in sport. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Keep politics out of sport. So you can see this is, once you start picking this scab, it gets pretty ugly. So given these two sides of the coin treaders, how does sport reconcile its need for strong values 
and not taking cash that they don't approve of uh, versus just that pure need of funds to keep sport alive, not just at the elite level, you know, at the AFL who seems to be cashed up, but actually the, the flow of cash down to grassroots level. Yeah, well, I think that's where I think both of those people's feedback are accurate because, you know, it is your job to stand alone and to run your uh, business without being conflicted. But understandably, that does affect everyone and it does rule out a number of situations. But let's be honest, a lot of uh, revenue going into sport is effectively to buy a little bit of leverage, you know, whether it's, you know, look good in front of the fans or try and do a deal later because I've given you this and, you know, the classic local footy club is maybe a real estate agent or someone sponsors their club, puts out 15, 20 grand of their own money and also then hopes that if 20 of the players sell their house that year that they'll they'll get most of that work. So I get that's business as well. But the Gina Reinhardt one was really interesting for me because she looked like her intention was good from the outside. You know, and, and I think if it was sold better by netball, then we wouldn't have had this situation where you know, people are actually asking Gina Reinhardt to apologise, some people asking for Gina Reinhardt to apologise for something her late father said 40 years ago. Well, in my book, it's not. I'm not in a position to apologise for anything my dad or brother or mother or sister or cousin or coach has said. Yeah, you can, but it doesn't mean much because it's not coming from the source of that, that absolute issue. And that said was 40 years ago, and I think we've moved a long way since then. But I find it a little bit a little element of hypocrisy when they go and sign with the Victorian government and the Premier who's going up for re-election has faced five corruption charges. So it's like, how big is this do you want it to sit in? And I'm not trying to get in a political space here, but the reality is you've signed off on one that some people think is bad or okay to another who some people think is bad or okay. Like you, you look at Victoria, they had the biggest lockdown in COVID and some people hate Dan Andrews for that and other people think he's done the right thing for that. So I think if you're going to... Um, look at a potential sponsorship or a partnership. It needs to be what the appearance looks like, garner opinion from different people, and then look at the situation is, okay, can our game afford that? Well, clearly netball couldn't because they've got some big financial challenges. But then also, too, if you do decide to go down that route of going and, and going with someone who is perceived to be slightly not appealing to everybody, um, you need a disclosure around the deal. So they say is, hey, this is this is a sponsorship for grassroots and looking in the deal, there is nothing, provided both parties agree, that there is nothing in this deal that is untoward. You know what I mean? You know, it's not here to promote other bits and pieces when there's some bad PR come out against that person. No. You know what I mean? So I think, like anything, transparency is the most important thing with all these situations. And it brings us back to our discussion before. I think the transparency with the gambling, no one really knows what the deals are. And that's probably why a lot of people are going, oh, probably doesn't look that great. We talk about um, money changing hands between uh, sponsors and sports and not everyone approving of uh, of those sort of things. Uh, interesting things happened in South Australia this week with the announcement that Live Golf is coming to uh, Adelaide in April next year. Uh, the uh, the Saudi Arabian um, owned uh, Rebel Golf Tour that uh, has uh, raised a few eyebrows around here, Treaders, uh, because uh, uh, you'd know about uh, a term that's been bandied around sports washing, uh, which is um, basically when uh, a, uh, a government or uh, entity uh, 
puts a lot of money into a sport, throws uh, lots of stardust and bells and whistles at things to hide behind what their uh, their actual uh, business is and what's going on. And obviously the Saudis have copped a lot of uh, uh, criticism over the time for human rights issues, that sort of thing. And so the question's been raised, well, should Adelaide really be, uh, or should the South Australian government be buying into this uh, live golf and, and uh, whether that's a good thing or not? What do, you, what do you reckon on that? Well, it's funny, isn't it? That, that question was asked the last 24 hours in Adelaide, um, but the big question was around a poor choice of words from the Premier around something seconds, which didn't come across well, but that was a greater story. So, yeah, you know, I think they explained it quite well to say, hey, well, this money is actually going towards paying the players for this event. Yes, it is backed in the multiple billions by the Saudis, but it also brings us to a situation where I'm a big English Premier League fan, and for once I'm an Arsenal fan who's telling people about it the last uh, in the last five years because we've been pretty poor. But you know, Roman Abramovich was a situation was a situation where as a Russian oligarch who owned Chelsea for a period of time and now had to sell his asset. You know, Manchester City have dominated the Premier League with their uh, situation too. So um, I think it's it's difficult. I think also too people bear in mind and. If you want to strip it back, I think these types of situations where not everyone is perfect is going to be rolled out every two seconds if they want to manipulate any situation because um, you, you can only look at um, the governments. You know, when everyone wants to pin it on Russia and a lot going on in, in that area of the world at the moment saying it's not good, but then some of the situations happening in America aren't good at the moment too. So I I, um, I sit there and go, is it a great event for South Australia bringing um, the world's best golfers? Yes, it is. Is it a golf event standalone? Indirectly, are the South Australian government supporting that event? They certainly are. Their owners, partially. That where it comes to appearance. And uh, and for me, this is on the minor scale of all of this. Um, you know, you look at other players like Socceroos and, you know, Monty, it's a classic, isn't it? You know, they stand up against some stuff with the World Cup, yet they're clearly happy to go off to the World Cup. So there's a lot of virtual signalling and a lot of um, situations where, Things are said and done and everyone's looking for a, a nitpick instead of actually let's celebrating what could be a pretty good event. Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge is that sport has become a political pawn, like without, without yeah. a doubt. And it's only growing as sports influence has continued to grow exponentially. So you look at as an asset you know, compared to other media and entertainment assets. Sport is the only thing that's going up. The film industry, everything like that becomes increasingly fragmented, but sport continues to gain eyeballs. Not only that, it gains passion. It gains incredible PR for those that are associated with sport and the right sporting teams and the right sporting events. I mean, you just got to, we're now looking at Qatar and the World Cup and all of the, all of the political issues that, are associated with that. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big call. But does does sport have a dirty money problem, and how do we deal with that if it does? Well, let's be honest. Is I think it gets into every bad money gets involved in compromising people in all sorts of different industries. Is it government? Is it big business? Is it sport? Absolutely. Sport was always seen as being separate to that because we just went and watched the footy or went and watched the cricket or went and watched the hockey or, and everything was fine. But I think as we've seen with, I touched on earlier with some of the gambling stuff of the 90s, Salah Malik and Hansi Kronier and you know Mark War and Shane Warne got caught into it, then that proves that, oh, I didn't think that would happen. I must admit I thought that. 
Um, but as we see, also too, um, it's also used as a worldwide focus to implement change and to implement behaviour. Um, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing was a really big thing that, that came out, uh, what was that, a couple of years ago, and, and AFL players were the first to bend their knees off the back of uh, Colin Kaepernick in the, the NFL um, taking a knee. So um, part of that is beyond whether it's right or wrong, but it's also a reality is it is fully ingrained in the behaviours, you know, um, but it's as ingrained as the behaviours as much as Cristiano Ronaldo doing his celebration, which is just a celebration, but it is also caught in the vernacular of the performance of the game. And let's face it, they are a business. They are open technically towards corruption because as the AFL is finding out right now, as we speak, is that that investigation into the betting probe is a form of corruption and it is big business and people will try to do that at times as well, whether that's whether that's right or wrong. The reality is sport is a vehicle to push many different instances and opinions and, and cultural change. Where do you draw the line? I mean, Geelong, for instance, sponsored by Ford for years and years and years. So we're going to say you yep. can't do that anymore because Ford are making petrol cars? I mean... No, that's the, that's the hardest bit. Well, no, because you know, I'd never have known that until recently when I read it. Oh, where's that come from? Oh, fine. Geelong also have upgraded in my time in football, upgraded the entire Cadinia Park off the back of what I'm told is an unbelievable fundraising, but also they're in a marginal seat. So they're able to get some upgrades in whether it's state or federal government to do their facility. And, and great. And in South Australia, we, we'd still be playing about a K from my house right now uh, at Football Park. Um, if it wasn't for the government um, at the time, the Labor Party, who wanted to stay in power, spending, I think it was $540 million, around about that mark, to upgrade the Adelaide Oval to a wonderful stadium it is today. You know, the MCG, the reason why Victoria has got the grand final for another 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it is, is because the Andrews government spent a fortune in upgrading Marvel Stadium and the MCG. The fan wins out of that, but it's also taxpayer money. So I think you're never going to completely wash the situation of that, but I think we need to stay on it. Just because if it does tip in towards the corruption, um, we need to be man enough or, you know, sorry, person enough to stand up and go, you know what, that's not right and that doesn't fit in our game. And, and I look back and just sit there and go, on the gambling, for me, that just doesn't sit right and it's not necessary. You're right. There, at some point, there has to come a time for compromise. And, and I think, as you said earlier, transparency is absolutely key. Um, you know, we've had Jamie Fuller on the podcast earlier, who was, who was great talking about this, that that basically it just needs to be an open book where all of the stakeholders can have a discussion and then you come to a conclusion. I think what I would like to see is sport to just continue to innovate from a business model perspective. I think, I think it's lazy to uh, rely on betting and others. It, yep. it, it's lazy. It's lazy money. You know that those guys have uh, just an endless bank balance and they're just going to keep throwing cash at you and and it's easy. As a as a AFL sponsorship guy or someone trying to grow, yeah, it's easy. We'll just rely on the betting money to come through. I would like to see more innovation so we don't have to rely on that. Yeah, and I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that. And particularly for big sports, like the big ones, you know, you look at um, rugby union, rugby league, AFL, cricket, you know, to a lesser extent, the A-League, money comes quite easily because there is such a big base, a big supporter base. You know, the Socceroos signed a monster deal with Subway just because of the greatest participation in young sport in, South, in Australia. So for me, is you've got to work hard, absolutely, and you deserve the fruits you get because the game has been grown and been so good for so long. But we've got to be careful for what's morally right and, and fair and reasonable without being ridiculous. 
So let me just put uh, this to you guys, uh, perhaps playing devil's advocate a bit. We've we've done away with the uh, cigarette sponsorship a couple of dec- yep. decades ago now. We we want to throw out the gambling, get rid of that. So where do we draw the line now? I mean, are we going to allow alcohol advertising because that's another one of Australia's great vices? Uh, is that is that fair game or is that, uh, I mean, let's face it, plenty of people uh, end up uh, with all sorts of problems. Uh, it's a social problem, a medical problem um, that, that drinking causes. So we, we're doing away with that one too? Well, I think it's a discussion and I think it'd be along the lines of, you know, if you were to do it, you're not going to ban drinking at the game because people enjoy having a beer at the game and a lot of stadiums only do mid-strength anyway now. So it's not as if you can say drunk and disorderly is a huge problem as it was in the past. Um, but is it around live advertising in sport? You know, clearly you're going to be able to advertise alcohol. Um, clearly, you know, some places are still going to advertise betting, but in and around the live event, I think there could be market leaders to people to say no, but um, because football has been, or alcohol has been part of a bit of the, the footy, you having a beer and a pie at the footy, I think it would be unlikely, to be honest. Well, let's, let's get rid of unhealthy food as well while we're at it because that causes yep. obesity. It's exactly a, right. It's a crazy oh, slope to be yeah, on. Yeah, but I think there's control. There's levels of what you what is understandable. Yeah, I I, I, I get it. People will say uh, uh, obesity is the biggest cause of health issues worldwide. It's probably more so than gambling. But I think a gambling is easily prevented. Um, and with the cost of living soaring and, and all that sort of stuff with food, I think it's an it's an easy it's an easy move because right now under the AFL's nose is a situation where their game is effectively compromised because of the ga- because of this situation. All right, guys, we're going to change tack a bit here now. And uh, I've got another um, uh, comment from uh, from Stacey, and she wants to talk about uh, something close to your heart, Port Adelaide, Warren Treadray. And, uh, well, oh. was close to your heart. I'm, you can tell us whether they still are. Um, how good a player do you think Jason Horn Francis will be for Port Adelaide, she wants to know. Uh, well, that's pretty hard to predict. 12 months ago, is the best kid in Australia. I think he potentially can be better than Patrick Dangerfield. He plays the same way. That's and I think a big he's call. A better kick. Potentially he could. But he's got a long, 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 about 340 games and a premiership and about eight old Australians to catch up. So it, the, the world is his oyster. I don't know. I don't know the kid. I don't know how driven he is. I've seen him play both at a sample level and early at the AFL level, and there's a lot to like. And understandably, if I'm Jason Cripps and Port Adelaide... Got all the toys, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He's got... But now the biggest test is internally. is Because his challenge he'll face now is I've got a lot of mental pressure from outside and I need to perform. Um, is Adelaide the best place for him? I think so. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing him flourish and hopefully become a a 10-year-plus player for my old footy club. So I, I'm excited about it. I think it's a gamble worth taking, a six-year deal or a five-year extension plus his rookie deal, plus giving up a lot for him. But I think any other team in that position would do that if there was a go-home factor with the best kid in Australia 12 months on, wants to come home. So I'm excited, but uh, ask me in 10 years' time. I think you're right. I think that um, you know any other club... Uh would have uh, tried to orchestrate the same deal. And if Port Adelaide didn't do it, you know, they'd have been criticised for not doing it. Um, I guess the one thing that you'd say, and, and and there's been some noise out of North Melbourne about this, uh, and, you know, some may say sour grapes, but, uh, you know, a few people there have made the comment, oh, well, you know, he, when the going got tough, he got going out of there and went to South Australia. And, 
and you know potentially he's only a young kid as we know and, and potentially um you know there might be some talk that you know he crumbled a couple of times and didn't want to be there rather than showed some real mental grit but uh, he'll have another chance to to start again in his home state, which is, uh, as you said, uh, absolutely the right place for him, you would think. Um, I guess the question is, did Port Adelaide overpay for him? And and that's something that only the uh, the fullness of time will, uh, will tell us. Yeah, absolutely right. And the other bit too is North Melbourne fans can be annoyed and I'd be annoyed if I was a North Melbourne fan, but you've got to ask the question, why did their management and coaches drop him before he was going to play in front of his family in Adelaide, what you're going to achieve from that, from the fact that he was supposedly 15 minutes late for an ice bath. You've been nothing but pee off the player, and that's exactly what you did. You tipped him over the line, so you got yourself to blame. Another one from uh, Hamish, who wants to know, uh, re uh, the deal, uh, Horn Francis uh, got a six-year deal. I think it was uh, five plus the one he already had, Treaders. Uh, how do you feel about long-term deals? We've seen so many of them in the AFL. I mean, what was it? Uh, Buddy Franklin got to Grundy nine. Grundy seven. Um, Brody Grundy had seven thrown at him, and and that's been uh, that's ended in tears. Um, there's a couple of uh, giants who've gone to Richmond, uh, to Hopper and Taranto. I mean, it, it's crazy length deals are being thrown around. Of course, Horn Francis, he's only young. So if you're going to throw a six-year deal at someone, uh, you probably want to make sure they're 19 or uh, 20, 21, 22 is about the, the 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 oldest you'd want to go. What what are your thoughts on that, Travis? Yeah, well, we just spoke to Jason Cripps, and you can catch up on www.thebigdeal.au. He explains it pretty well, Port Adelaide's list manager, uh, a couple of episodes ago. But the reality is when he falls out of this deal, which was he's got one more left on his rookie deal, so anyone who's, first, who's new to this, when you get drafted, you've got to sign a minimum two-year deal and your, your payments are fixed. If you play a fair bit, you'll get bonuses in that period of time. But he comes out on, I'm hearing about 600000 a year for the next five years after that. So seriously good money. But the kids comes out at 24, 25 years of age. He's not coming out like a Brody Grundy at 30 plus or you know, Buddy Franken. I didn't think that one would work well. I think it's worked well. The only thing missing is they've played in three grand finals and won no premierships. But other than that, he's paid for himself in spades. So... The reality is, in my time, would I have loved a five- and six-year deal? Absolutely I would, but I didn't get it. And that is the changing of the times, and it's the one thing the clubs have got, other than trading them a year before they're eligible for uh, free agency, is to cash in instead of getting the poor compensation at 12 months before they're eligible, or they are from long-time deals. And I look at Port, you know, long-term deal offered to Matty Lobby, a couple of years later was traded to Carlton, didn't really work. Long-term deals offered to Robbie Gray, Ollie Wines, and Travis Boak at slightly below um, at below their not their their market value because they get tenure worked unbelievably well. So it comes back to the cattle. Now, Treaders, I mean, you touched on uh, your own views there um, in terms of your own deal. What's the biggest deal that you said no to back in the day? Uh, it wasn't so big in terms of footy but this is pretty much I think I spoke about it a, a little bit on the big deal previously was I was out of contract as a 21 year old and Sydney off me 400,000 in initial patrol but that's when the salary cap was on about six million dollars so it was a decent percentage of the cap and I was an un, pretty much unproven played one full season um, but I turned that down and every time thereafter I negotiated I negotiated to stay at Port Adelaide and my manager, Jeff Motley, effectively tried to get me the best, most realistic deal for me, but also to keep our team to get around. Um, I always understood that. And clearly, I got paid well, but I understood that 
in that times, we need to keep the group together to try and win a premiership, which we're lucky to do. So I'm not like some blokes who go to market every time and and uh, drive the... That's where the game's gone. It's gone effectively to managers now going to the market pretty much every time uh, and majority of the deals just to see what's out there first. And, and I never did that the latter half of my career. You were talking a minute ago about, uh, you know, you'd have loved a five or six year deal thrown at you when you were playing. So what was the longer, longest term deal that you did actually get? The three-year extension. So I was coming out of contract at the end of that year. Oh, that that felt... But back then, Dion, that, that felt like, oh, Fort Knox, mate, no one's getting in. I'm secure. I'm sweet. You know what I mean? That's like, oh, oh no, that was before they really broke. It's because you had bung knees, mate. That's why. I was hoping I should have got a five-year back then and that would have seen me into retirement still getting paid, like some <laughs> of the situations now. But um, back then, a three-year extension was pretty big. Four years was almost unheard of and five was like, what? What is that? Yeah, now, yeah, to, to fight off, as I said before, to fight off free agency, clubs are going to go long. And when you go, the longer you go, the less you pay per annum. So, you know, a deal might cost you 700 a year to get a player per year. You, you offer them 550 over a four or five year deal. That's how clubs who have currently got the player starve off, uh, keep away those other teams who are trying to poach them. Do you have any deal regrets? Like anything that you said no to, not, not just footy contracts, sponsorships, anything, and you go, nah, I said no to that, um, you know, maybe a, a, a lucrative cryptocurrency from oh, FTX or something too, like that. Too soon. You say no to it. I, I have some regrets <laughs> not getting too into soon. Bitcoin. Um, uh, that didn't work so well for me. Um, yeah. Don't we all? In uh, and out yeah, of Bitcoin. Um, no, not really. No, I, yeah. I did a, I got a Nike deal that was a um, – it was a three-year deal, but then it was Nike for life, which was a pitch that they had back then, and there were only about four or five people on it So uh, in the AFL and four or five people in rugby league. So you, whilst I had a contract, it was about 100000 over three years, and you get gear on top of that, um, they actually offered a Nike for life. So up until only before COVID, I was still able to go to Nike when I'm in Melbourne and get five, six hundred, seven hundred bucks worth, a thousand bucks worth of gear a couple of times a year, which is always nice. But considering I got five kids in this family, it goes pretty quickly. But now I've still I've still got an arrangement um, set up, a good setup with Nike. Rhett Biglin's <laughs> former Crows uh, player uh, owns Nike here in Adelaide, so he he looks after us with a bit of discount. But uh, those sort of doors were shut once uh, COVID hit, and uh, the guy uh, Georgie Lawler, legend from Nike, um, he uh, he retired from Nike. So when he retired, my deal went too. <laughs> Sounds like you've squeezed a fair bit out of that one, anyway, mate. Yeah, exactly. Twelve and a half are uh, the sought after. Don't worry about that. The US twelve and a half. Now, boys, we've uh, covered a lot of territory today, and uh, sorry to everyone whose questions we couldn't quite get to. Um, as Dion was saying off the top, make sure you submit anything that's on your mind. Uh, we don't really care how, to be honest. Reply to Treaders on Facebook. Uh, reply to our emails when they go out. I'd love to get some voice notes because I, I have a bit of a vision to to turn this into a, you know, old school talkback style. I want a bit of KG and Cornsy style with Treaders and we want to have, you know, it'd be great to, if we had like a, you know, a regular or something like that, that would chip in with a question and we, you know, I've just, you know, I've got a bit of an old school radio vision. Dion, you'd be into that, wouldn't you, mate? Oh, look, I love it. Yeah. G'day, mate. Yeah. Why isn't uh, Carlton winning more games? You know, all that kind why of did stuff. You pick, why did you yeah. pick Carlton? Why not? It's like, well, they won 14 or whatever it was, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you blue bagger, you. First team that came to my head, I don't know. 
And a bloke used to ring me all the time. A bloke used to ring me all the time uh, wanting to talk Carlton with me, and I had to had to take my phone off. Every time I, my phone rang, I never answered it from that day forward. I reckon I, I spoke to a lovely bloke, and I spoke to him about 12, 14 times, but he always used to ring me at about 5 o'clock when I was flat out, couldn't talk to him, and it's like, oh, no, he's, he's on the phone again. No, tell him I'm not here. I can't talk. That's your apology. Oh, that's great. It's like the old... Like the old days at, at Channel Nine with with Johnny Mac, the cameraman, just just lean, leaning over our uh, our desks, you know, wanting to give us the scoop right when we're trying to get our scripts in. Love those days. He's a legend, old Johnny, and I hope he's doing alright. Absolutely. So thanks to everyone for tuning in again. That was a stack of fun. Remember, there's a stack more interviews lined up on the show, so make sure you've subscribed to the podcast and keep track of all the latest sports deals, details, and drama by joining our community at www thebigdeal.au thanks fellas before you go don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more join me at www.thebigdeal.au